ago, I was sitting on the couch watching Bob's Burgers with my wife, and um, I got a phone call. It was a church down the street who owned the space that we rent from. And they said, hey, just so you know, oh, we just want to loop you in. A couple weeks back, we voted, and the church voted to sell the building, so it's up on the market and people are looking at it. We just thought we should let you know. I'm like, oh, thanks for that. You know, uh, I appreciate knowing now that it's on the market and you're actually selling it. Um, I hung up and instantly my head began to spin. In 2020, I saw five churches that I knew the pastors, I knew the church. They were close to me. I'd been involved with them at some level. I saw them close in 2020. It was a hard year for new churches, for old churches. Um, and I thought, is this going to be the death blow for us? Like, is it just going to be like we can't find new space and we're just going to slowly trickle down to nothing and it's just going to be the end of Verizon? And so I began texting some of you in this room, some of you online, some of you who are just friends or support to me out in the world. And I began texting and I said, hey, I just got this phone call. I'm spiraling. Like, what's going to happen? we got to find a new space. Every one of you said something like this. God's got this. We're going to find a better place. This is all part of his plan. The best is yet to come. Nobody was like, oh my gosh, Alex, what are we going to do? Except me, right? I was the only one doing that. I realized in that moment, you had more faith than I did. Really, you were pastoring me in that moment. I wasn't pastoring you. You expect the person up front to have some kind of faith, right? Uh, but in that moment... I certainly didn't have very much. Now, I can look back in my life and see some huge steps of faith that I've taken. I've done things because I'm like, I believe there's an invisible God, and he's behind me, and I'm going to do it. And I don't say that to you like, well, okay, Alex, way to brag. I say that instead to draw into sharp contrast how quickly you can go from having a faith where you're like, I'm jumping off this cliff because I believe Jesus is going to catch me, and reaching a point where you get a phone call and you're like, it's over. Faith can fizzle quickly. You can go from one moment where you're like, I'll do anything, to another moment where you're like, oh man, is this the end? When Darby and I moved here to a city where we knew no one because we felt like God was directing us to, it was an act of faith. We left our families and our friends and everything familiar because we felt like we heard a whisper from God. I saw you before you were here. I imagined you before you were here. I was like, God's calling me, and there's going to be people that are going to gather with us, and together we're going to learn how to live and love like Jesus. So after a few years, how did I go from that, having so much faith, to one evening getting a phone call and it felt like my faith completely flickered out? And more importantly, the question is, if you're like that, how do we fan our faith back into a flame? If it's died down into embers, can we get it started again? Now, I intended today to start a completely different series. After Genesis, I had mapped out where I was going, and I was going to do something completely different. But I changed directions and began thinking about faith. Because I was like, if my faith is this low, I need to do something. If I'm going to lead this church, if I'm going to lead you, if I'm going to try to stand up here and talk about God, I need to relight my faith. Now, maybe you're in a position where you feel like you need to relight your faith. Maybe you're exploring Christianity and it feels impossible to believe in these outlandish things like, you know, Jewish rabbis coming back to the dead after they've been publicly executed. Um, I hope this series sparks a flame 
in your life. If you're holding on to the faith of your childhood and it feels like you're just holding on by a thread, I hope this series sparks the flame. If you're like me and your faith seems all spent and you're like, I want my faith renewed, I hope this series sparks a flame. So as we explore the idea of faith, we're going to start with some definitions. I know, like, everybody loves definitions, right? No, nobody does. I love definitions. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is acting with confidence because you believe something you cannot see, but you think it's true. Now, sometimes hip modern people say something like, all faiths say the same thing. Have you ever heard that maybe you said this? Um, that's a grand overstatement. If I brought in a Jewish rabbi and a Muslim imam and a Catholic priest and myself in here, and we started talking, it wouldn't take very long to be like, Oh, they don't agree with everything. Like, they actually have some key differences. There's some things they really disagree with. But what all faiths do agree on is that there is more that is real than just what you can see with human eyes. Every faith says that. Every faith says there's more to reality than just what you can see, feel, taste, smell, and touch. There's something else. There's something other. Now, I know some people have a really hard time believing the outlandish things that the Christian faith asks of them. Sometimes I do, right? Sometimes I read something and I'm like, man, did that really happen? That seems impossible. There are some, some, some hard things to accept. But don't assume that your issue is with the idea of faith itself. We exercise faith all the time. We believe in things that we cannot see all the time. I believe in gravity even though I don't see gravity, right? Um, all my denials of gravity will do nothing to save me if I jump off of a 10-story building. Gravity will show that it's, it is real. It is a real truth really quickly. If I jump off of a high place, the whole way down I can say, I don't see it, I don't see it, but it still has an effect on my life, right? Um, take for instance something a little bit more difficult to prove, we can jump off and instantly tell gravity is real, but love, Love is something we cannot see. We can see the effects of love. Um, most people would agree if I just went out into a public space, whether you believed anything about God or not, if I said love is the most powerful force in the universe, most people would say yes. But love cannot be measured in a lab, nor can it be seen with the naked eye. In fact, sometimes you can be in a relationship for a long time and you're like, is this love? I'm feeling something, I'm observing some things. Love requires faith. It requires believing that there are true things that we can act confidently on, even though we cannot see them. Now, some might say the most true things in life, the things that matter most, are intangible things that you cannot see with the naked eye. Now, when it comes to the students of Jesus, faith literally means believing that Jesus will be faithful. He will act in accordance with his character and his nature. Jesus will be Jesus. That's what faith is. I expect Jesus to act like who he is. The opposite of faith is a doubt. That's sometimes how it's presented. Like, you either have faith or you have doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Faith means admitting that we're not in control. In fact, if we're honest, we can't even see the control most of the time. We have no idea how to change things in our lives or make things go in the direction that we want. I believe that an act of faith can set your spiritual life on fire. You can look at two people 
have generally the same life, and one takes an act of faith and they see God show up, or they pray a prayer and they see God answer, and all of a sudden it's like, oh man, everything's changed now. I've seen God do something. There's somebody out there who hears me. There's someone who answers. I took this risk and God showed up, and now everything about my life is different. An act of faith sets your spiritual life on fire. It can change you from a spiritually morose person into a spiritually excited person. But I also think an act of faith can light up the darkness for other people around you. See, many times your step of faith isn't just about you. It's about people around you, people who will hear about you, people who will be impacted by you. Belief is contagious. Your unbelief is also contagious. People don't believe what we say because what we say we believe is not how we act. When we don't act like what we say we believe, it makes people share in our unbelief. But when our life, what we say we believe, the way we live actually lines up with what we say, it'll make other people believe too. Now, I remember when God first began to stir in my heart, I was in seminary, um, he began to stir in my heart to start a church. Um, I was completely terrified by this idea. I was like, why don't I just go into a nice, comfortable, established church? They'll give me a house to live in. It's called a parsonage. They'll give me a salary. They'll give me benefits. There's already an audience to hear me speak. That sounds amazing. Like, there were plenty of churches around in the South who needed pastors. Um, and yet, God kept laying on my heart that he wanted me to start a church in the Northeast of all places, a place where nobody goes to start churches. If you look at where we're starting churches in North America, less than 6% of all churches are started in the Northeast. It's known as the graveyard for new churches. Isn't that encouraging, you know? Um, and yet, that's what I felt God telling me to do. I was terrified. I was so fearful. And it was around that time that I read my first Mark Batterson book. I have one of his books over there on our table. Um, love Mark Batterson. He planted National Community Church in D.C. over 20 years ago. His first service, he had three people, himself, his wife, and their son. Um, and yet now they have campuses all over D.C. He's written these books. He's had this huge impact because he stayed in one place over 20 years, and he's seen God be faithful. And so reading about his step of faith made me believe. It made me feel like, okay, he took a step of faith. I can take a step of faith. Somehow him acting by faith built my faith. Hearing about his faith made some of his faith become my faith. Now, one Saturday, Darby and I, after we moved up here, we went to D.C., and we were doing some of the touristy things, and we were just walking around, and I saw Mark Batterson walking by on the street with his wife, and I was, like, freaking out. I just started yelling out, Mark Batterson! Mark Batterson! And this guy's like, what? So he turned around, super nice guy. You know, sometimes you idolize somebody, and then you meet them in their dirt. So nice. He came over. I'm like, I'm starting a church. I read about your story, and it inspired me, and I'm starting a church. And you know I'm babbling. Darby has this hilarious video of me just babbling to this guy. And his wife, Mark Babson's wife, is there, and she's like, he really likes him. Like, what? Like, why is he so excited about meeting him? Um, but I was able to thank him. We got a picture together. There's me and Mark Batson. He's really tall. I didn't realize how tall he was. <laughs> so I next to him. Um, and I was able to thank him. He didn't know me, but his step of faith ended up sharing some of his faith with me. And there are people who will get a little piece of your faith when you take a step of faith. You'll share it with them and you don't even realize it. 
Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to explore the stories of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the heroes of the faith chapter in the Bible. It's just where the writer of Hebrews goes through, and he's like, here's some people who really took dramatic steps of faith. Let it inspire you to do the same. And so I hope these stories of faith will fan your faith aflame. I hope some of, of their faith becomes our faith. I hope these stories start a wildfire of faith in you. And ultimately, why I'm preaching this, I hope it starts a wildfire of faith in me that relights a spark that I feel like has gone to flow. So today, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 12, and then 17 through 19. We'll hit those other verses later on in the series. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. He set up for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she was considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Jump down to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. Now, the mysterious author of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. There's some debate. If you go to seminary, they have whole classes debating about who wrote it. Um, but he hones in on three unique experiences where Abraham exercised faith. Now, these acts of faith actually bookend long sections where Abraham did not exercise faith, where Abraham's whole life was ruled by fear. In fact, if you read through the story of Abraham, it's pretty much like him acting fearfully over and over and over again and making terrible decisions because he's acting out of fear, and then a bright spot. He'll take a step of faith. And then go act fearfully, 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 and all kinds of mess in his personal life and in his um, family life because he keeps acting out of fear. And then, bright spot, he'll act out of faith. If nothing else, holding up Abraham seems to tell us that a few bold steps of faith in your life can make you a hero of faith, even if you have an inconsistent track record. Whew, that makes me feel a little bit better. Okay. So, a few bold steps of faith in my life can make me a hero of faith, even if I'm inconsistent most of the time. So, let's look at the three examples of faith that the writer of Hebrews comes in on. First, in verses 8 through 10, it talks about how Abraham left his family and his country of origin to travel in a direction that God pointed out. If you go back and you read the story in Genesis, it's while God's like, hey, I'm God. Abraham's like, Okay. God's like, I'm going to show you a place where your descendants are going to live. Follow me. He doesn't tell him where. He doesn't give him a map. He's like, just head that way. And Abraham heads that way. Like, what an act of faith. I would be like, where am I going? Where's the destination? How many rest stops along the way? Are we going to stop for snacks? Do we have enough snacks? Could we get more snacks? He wasn't given a destination. He was given a direction. Sometimes our purpose in life is less about arriving and more about going on a road trip with God. 
Yahweh, the God of the Bible, always seems more interested in who people are becoming along the way than he is about where they are getting to in the end. Abraham spends his whole life, if you read the book of Genesis, traveling around a land that didn't belong to him. It belonged to different people. It keeps saying he went to this city, who belonged to this person. Then he walked through this country, which belongs to these people. Then he went here, who belongs to this group and this tribe. And he just wandered around his entire life. And God told him, everywhere your foot touches, someone long after you, a descendant, will own this land. Everywhere you walk, you are setting aside land for people long after you. Wow, what a deal, right? You know, you're never going to see them get to own it. But he promised, everywhere you walk, someday someone will own that who's a descendant of yours. Now, for me, I'd be like, well... I'm not going to walk that much today because, you know, I'm not going to see it, right? Like, it's not going to affect me. Maybe my great, 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 great grandkids someday. But Abraham, if you follow the story, he keeps walking around. He keeps traveling. He doesn't stop because he believes someday this land will be belong to my descendants. People long after him would get to enjoy the fruits of his faith. Faith leads us to plant gardens that we will never get to eat from. Faith says, I don't have to see the results to believe that doing the right thing was the right thing. Faith means investing in a future we cannot see because we believe that some of the most important things in life are things we cannot see. Sometimes you pray a prayer and you don't get to see the answer and someone a generation after you gets to enjoy that. Darby and I were talking to a lady who pulled up on our street, and she's like, oh, when I was a kid, there was a minister who lives in the house where you live, the house we just bought. I was like, how cool. There was someone long before I was born who was praying in my home prayers. And I think about that. I wonder, did he pray about who would own that house someday after him? Did he pray about the impact people would have in that community after him? Did he pray about what would happen on that street after him? Am I there as an answer to a prayer he prayed before I was born? Faith invests in a future it doesn't have to see because it believes in a God who will act in the future. The second act of faith that Abraham is called out for here in Hebrews is in verses 11 through 12. Now, this is where it talks about Abraham not having children. God had promised him, he says, I'm going to take you to this land. Descendants who you're not going to get to see are going to own it. Um, and they're going to be descendants from you and your wife, Sarah. The only problem, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were old. They were past having children. They couldn't figure out how this was going to happen. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, had vast wealth, but no children. And yet God promised them an heir. As they got older and older, that promise seemed more and more like a cruel joke. In fact, they named their son Isaac laughter because the whole promise felt like a cruel joke but then when the baby actually showed up it was a beautiful joke that they could laugh about faith looks at the character of god not the impossibility stacked against it it doesn't look at the failures and say everything is futile it looks at the father and says he is faithful he does what he says he will do because he is who he says now, Darby and I naturally connected the story of Abraham and Sarah. We long to be parents. We've left our families. We've chased the direction of God. And we would like to be parents. We long to have a child. And it's been a long, long way through infertility and miscarriage, through adoption process that just seems continually stalled out. But we wait and we hope and we believe 
And we think that if he doesn't do what we want, what we long for, what we desperately want, faith says that God himself will be enough to fill the most empty spot of our hearts. And finally, the last act of faith that Abraham is mentioned for is in verses 17 through 19. God ultimately gives Abraham and Sarah a child, Isaac, laughter, and then God asks the unthinkable of him. He's like, you know that child I gave you? The one you've been waiting your entire life for. The one that all the other promises I've given you hinge on. I want you to take him up on a mountain called Moriah and sacrifice him. Now, Abraham came from a land where they would sacrifice children. But God said he wasn't that kind of God when Abraham followed him. Abraham obeys it once, and Isaac carries the wood for his own sacrifice up the mountain. He binds Isaac, he raises the knife, God speaks and says, no, don't kill your son. Kill this ram caught in the thicket nearby, they offer it instead. Now, Abraham here was so confident in the God he could not see, he was so assured that God was good, that he was certain that if God was asking for something as evil as this, the result would somehow be good and not evil. When our faith falters, what has really fizzled out is we have forgotten how good God is. We begin to, we've begun to believe that God is not good and does not do good. Now, this story seems barbaric. Like, if you just read this story out of context, it seems like a barbaric story. What kind of God would ask that we sacrifice our children? Horrible. In fact, uh, and later on, Yahweh condemns the gods that demand child sacrifice. So what's going on here? The Bible tells us a cohesive story about Jesus. This real-world story about Abraham walking up a mountain with Isaac, Isaac carrying the wood for his own sacrifice, is a real story that happened in history. But it's a story that was actually about Jesus. 2,000 years later, there was a son named Jesus who walked up the same mountain. Moriah, Mount Moriah, is the same hill that Jerusalem is built on. It's the exact same mountain. Where Jesus was crucified on a cross outside the city is the same mountain where Abraham walked up with his son Isaac and God said, no, not your son. My son will die here. Jesus carried the wood for his own sacrifice and they were, he was taken outside of the city to a place called Golgotha, an ancient place of sacrifice. And there he was put on an altar, a cross, and in the very place that Abraham almost sacrificed his son, God sacrifices his son, Jesus, instead. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If you make Jesus your master, I've added for context, that means becoming his apprentice. He's your master, you're his apprentice. And you believe by faith that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, faith says God will provide, and if he doesn't, he will provide himself. And he will always be enough. Faith says the dead come back to life. Faith says living and loving like Jesus will change the world. Faith says living and loving like Jesus will change you. Those worst, dirty, broken spots of yourself that you're like, I just can't seem to scrub these issues out. Faith says Jesus can change that. Abraham went without seeing. He waited without seeing. He was willing to give up everything without seeing. Now it's our time. What are we willing to do? Will we go? Will we wait? We cannot see, but we can act with confidence because Jesus is faithful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for going to the mountain and dying in our place. 
See, we deserve to be the one on the sacrifice because the things I have said and done and thought have brought chaos into your good world. I have broken relationships. I have broken the good world and order that you designed. But you came and laid down your life to pull together heaven and earth so that we might be one again. God, light a flame of faith in me. May I be reminded of your goodness. And Lord, I pray for the people watching this, the people listening right here, that you will restore in us a faith that says God is enough and he is with us and for us and he is good and we're going to do what's right regardless of the results.